Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Well, anybody else like me and feel like it cannot be Christmas time already? It just came so quickly, and over the next few weeks, we hope just to kind of lean in, like I said earlier, to, to some things that help us make this season more than, than just another chaotic time. Because for me, growing up, my, my dad pastored for over 40 years. I grew up, and the churches I grew up in really didn't look like this one, kind of like some of y'all are, are used to probably. You know. And so when, when Christmas came, our calendar got really full. It was cantatas and plays, and I ain't gonna lie, I miss that little brown bag with the fruit in it. <laughs> what do we gotta do to get some of those at Vintage? I want an orange, a little pack of raisins, come on somebody, and like candy cane, you can keep the zero bar. The reason why they call it zero bar is because zero people like it. <laughs> but we, we, somebody said, I do. Well, we'll give you all of ours. Everybody will collect them and we'll put them in a pile right here. And if you like them, you can come get them. We're actually not gonna do any of that, but anyway. But at Christmas time, we at Vintage, man, we wanna, we wanna kinda just slow things down a little bit. Very intentionally spend some time leaning into the Word. And even you notice, it's, it's hard for me to sit here and preach, but I'm, I'm gonna try. Because even some of the things that we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks, I want, just absorb it. I want the truth just to absorb in your spirit for you to hear some of these things. And for me, I don't know what your favorite Christmas song is. Like we did a poll yesterday on our Instagram because Oh Holy Night is my favorite song. Somebody put Little Drummer Boy, Parumpa Bum. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know, this is not mine. But Oh Holy Night is without question my most favorite Christmas song of all time. And man, the version that Laura and our, and the, our worship team did last year, I'm responsible for 99% of those views on YouTube because I've watched it over and over and over again. But there is a line in that song that I was listening to it a few weeks ago and we were deciding what we were gonna kind of lean into as a church this Christmas where it says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope that a world, even in its weariness, decides to rejoice. And I believe that so often when this time of year pops up on our calendar, many of us find ourselves worn. Weary from a year that's had its own unique challenges or perhaps all too familiar ones. And we do everything we can not to wear that weary all over our face. As we step into office parties and family gatherings, we do everything to, we can to cover up the weariness by throwing on some tacky Christmas sweaters and offering cliche greetings in the hopes that no one will see just how weary we are. Because as we get here, what we've learned is Life is just as hard in the year that we've experienced it as it was the one before, and we're convinced that the one that's headed our way will have its own difficult things that we all must navigate. Come on, somebody. But I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, and it says, do you not know 
Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And even youths grow tired and weary. And yeah, even young men, they stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That it says weariness is just a normal part of walking through life in the sinful, broken world that we're in. But it says those who hope in the Lord, and perhaps the reason for our weariness is because we've misplaced our hope. And it's so easy to misplace our hope, to tether it to something that's temporary or uncertain, something that's fleeting. But we so long for hope that we look to find it, to anchor it, to tether it somewhere because there's something about your human heart that longs for hope. Hope is an interesting concept. I spent the last few weeks just trying to even wrap my mind around what hope really is. And if you look it up in the dictionary, it says, hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. And when I read that definition, I'm reminded why so few of us have it. Why so few of us have it. Because if hope is tethered to an expectation, I don't know about you, but far too often in my life, my expectation and my experience don't seem to align with one another. Come on, y'all talk to me, come on. That far too often in our lives, our expectation and our experience don't align, therefore hope seems absent. And I don't know, as you sit here in December and we're almost at the completion of another year and if our lives are books and our days it's pages, maybe our years are its chapters and we're about to turn the page into another season of life. And as you sit here, all the things that you hoped for in January, all the things that you thought you expected to be different in 2021, maybe they weren't. It's been just as hard, just as difficult, just as challenging. You hoped it would happen and it didn't, or you prayed it wouldn't and it did. And when hope is lost, it is more often than not the result of expectations not being met. And you look at your life and you think, what I am experiencing in real life does not seem to align with what I expected. Not what I expected in my own dreams, and sometimes, if we're honest, not even what I expected as I read the Word of God sometimes. It seems like there are gaps, come on, between what we're experiencing and and what we expected. But the, the good news is, all the people that brought us this book experience that gap between experience and expectation. This book is full of stories of people just like you and I who expected one thing, who had one hope for their lives, had dreams that they had from childhood to adulthood and beyond, had things that they wanted to see happen that never did, and things that they hoped never happened that actually happened. Even the Christmas story is shrouded with people having to calibrate expectations. 
<laughs> Mary didn't expect that an angel would show up in her bedroom and say, you're going to have a baby by God. Joseph did not expect that he would step into a marriage with his wife having a child that was not his. So much of Scripture is full of people just like us who had to adjust to expectations that they didn't plan on. And I hope that there, over the next few weeks, there are lessons that we're gonna learn from these people because if we don't, if we don't find a way to calibrate our expectations with our experience, to, to lean into God and his truth in such a way, then we'll walk through this season once again celebrating but absent of hope. And one of my favorite stories in all of scripture of a woman that to me, every time I read her story, I'm amazed by her ability to calibrate and to, to, to manage this tension between expectation and experience. And it's a woman that, that we don't look at very often, that we don't read about frequently. It's a woman that we don't even know her name. We know very little details about her life. We only know where she's from and the prophet in which she had an opportunity to encounter. It's in 2 Kings chapter four, so go there with me. 2 Kings chapter four, start with verse eight. It says, one day, Elisha, the prophet, went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came, he stopped there to eat. Verse nine, he said, she, she said to her husband, I, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God, so let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So one day, verse 11, when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her and she stood before him. And Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now, what can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. Verse 14, what, what can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. And verse 16, he says, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. <laughs> no, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. So here's a woman and she is encountering a man named Elisha. And if you're not familiar with Elisha, Elisha is the guy who followed Elijah. And Elijah is this man who did these amazing things. This prophet for God had a showdown on Mount Carmel with all the prophets of Baal. And then when Elisha begins, Elisha comes to follow him, he asks for a double portion. And literally, if you read the Bible, Elisha did twice the miracles that Elijah had done. And uh, this Shunanite woman, and that's all we know about her, we don't know her name, we don't know much about her. It says that she was a well-to-do woman. And y'all, this is where biblical language just breaks down for us. Because so often the Hebrew of the Old Testament or the Greek of the New Testament, it's hard to find English words that properly articulate the, the things that these words mean. When he says well-to-do, it doesn't mean just that she was wealthy, which seems to be so, because here comes Elisha and he needs a room to stay and she hires a contractor and runs to Ikea and makes him a nice little space. 
And that just reminds me that she knew that the man of God, which essentially was the voice of God, was present, and she decided that she needed to make a room. Don't forget to make room. Come on. Like intention, she intentionally makes room for the man of God. Are you gonna intentionally make room for God during this season? In a season that's trying to choke him out at every turn, make sure that you carve out intention to celebrate the real reason why we give gifts and sing songs. But Elisha, Elisha is so overwhelmed with her generosity and her gratitude he says, we can't just keep coming and staying here. And she's made us this nice room and got this nice couch and this nice lamp. And if it's from Ikea, somebody had to put it together. And you know, they almost lost their faith trying to do that. So we, we need to do something here. He says, go to this woman and ask her, what can we do for her? How, how can we serve her? And her answer is very interesting to me. He says, what can we do for you? And she seems so satisfied just content. And now listen, she doesn't, she, she's very aware of who she's talking to. She's talking to Elisha, whose reputation obviously preceded him when he came up. This worker of miracles, the mouthpiece of God, the one in and through whom God is doing the most miraculous things of her time. So you would think if I have an audience and I have a request with this powerful person who's connected to the most powerful thing in the universe, the one and only true God, here's your chance. And she says, basically, I'm good. And y'all, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I, I've been wrestling ever since I've read this story decades ago to try to figure out why. Why did she, why, why she say she was good? Was it because she really was good? Was she really so content with her life, so fulfilled, so complete, so whole, that literally she was so well-to-do in all the ways that she was in need of nothing? I don't, I don't know. I, I would submit her response when Elijah finally says, you're gonna have a son, suggests otherwise. But I don't know, maybe, maybe she is. Maybe, maybe she is in this position where she's so complete, she's so satisfied, she's so whole in who she is in God that she doesn't need anything. Or maybe she's like some of us where she's, she's living in that tension of she feels like she has so much it would seem greedy to ask God for anything more. Have you ever been there? Where you look around at your life and, 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 and yeah, there are some things that are obviously missing and in hers there were that you don't have everything that you want, and more than likely, you're like most of us, you have everything you need. So when you have the opportunity to, to, to make a big ask, to pray a big prayer, to do something bold, you shy away from it out of guilt or shame. Can I just say, you don't have to do that. Then no, God doesn't owe you anything, but through his grace and mercy and provision, he has promised you many things, and you need to pray big, bold, powerful prayers. Come on, somebody. Maybe that's it. Or maybe she's like a lot of us, living in that tension of contentment and desire. Well, yeah, you're content. You have everything that you need. You feel whole in Christ. But there are some things that your heart still longs for. Come on. There are some things you still want to see. 
some things that you'd love to have that aren't necessarily needed, but man, they'd be nice. Can, am, I, am I making any sense to anybody in the room? Come on, y'all with me? Maybe online's engaging with me a little bit. But she doesn't ask. Or maybe it's because at one time, what she is now being offered is what she wanted most. But with every passing year that it didn't happen, her expectation was chipped away little by little by little till now when she stands before the prophet with the opportunity, she doesn't believe that she should expect it anymore. And to expect it again would only set her up for yet another disappointment. Have you ever been there? where you have prayed and you have prayed and you have prayed and the year went by and another year went by and another thing. Like you expected that at 45, your life would look different than it does. And because it doesn't, now you're about to give up. You didn't think that you'd be in this position in your career at age 50. You thought by now in your 30s, you'd be married and you're not and you're wondering if it's ever gonna happen. You've been married for eight, 10 years and you still don't have a child and you're wondering if it will ever work out. And you've expected and then your experience wasn't what you expected and disappointment and discouragement has bred to the point where you no longer pray the big powerful prayers you once did. And now listen, I have a hard time telling you when to let a dream die because there are times we pray prayers, look at me and God says, no. But God always says no because he has a better yes. And it not, might not be the yes that you expected when you expected, but if it's his yes, it's the one you need. Come on, somebody. Y'all with me this morning? Let's, let's have church. Let's have church a little bit in here. But some of us, we're living out of no where God has only said not yet. We're living out a no where God has only said not yet. You've, you've buried a dream that God still sees as alive and it's time to resurrect it. There is no better time than Christmas than to believe again and start praying big, bold prayers because this is a season that reminds us of who he is and what he's capable of that he brought forth his son in the most miraculous, powerful way, in the, in the most unexpected place, at the most unexpected time. So if right now you're not expecting, maybe you should be. And God's word never fails. Second Kings chapter four, verse 17. But the woman did become pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son just as Elisha had told her. I love Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And I'd love to tell you that that's where her story ends that this baby was born and as she watched her belly grow and hope began to well up and all her belief began to return. And as that baby was born, the rest of her days were just full of joy and excitement and happiness and power. But that's not her story and it's not most of ours, is it? Because life is full of good and bad. 
purpose, strength, joy, and pain. Because see, sometime later, and we don't know how long, we don't know how old this young man is when chapter four, verse 18 begins to unfold, but her story is not over and her struggle has not ended. Second Kings chapter four, verse 18 says, the child grew and one day he went to his father who was with the reapers and he said to his father, my head, my head. And his father told a servant, carry him to his mother. Ain't that just like a man? <laughs> Dad, I'm sick. Go find your mama. And after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. Sorry, I'm struggling what to say right now. Because this didn't happen in first service, but right when I read that, the Lusk family just popped into my mind. And if y'all haven't heard, Andy and Nicole Lusk are a part of our church, and Nicole and their daughter was supposed to be baptized today, but instead they're at Benner's Hospital. As Levi, their son, is fighting for his life after a tragic accident this week. And we don't know how it's gonna turn out. As I think about this woman, I think about them and the uncertainty that they're feeling. And I think we just need to pause and pray for a minute. Lord, this is one of those moments when I feel really ill-equipped And I don't know how I'm gonna even move in through the rest of this sermon now, but God, we pause as your people to cry out for your children. God, we ask that you would cover Andy and Nicole and Levi and their family. As God, we don't know what's gonna happen in the days ahead. We know what you're capable of. We know what you can do, but what you actually do remains a mystery. So God, I pray that right now that you would just be with them wherever they are, that your spirit would fall in the room that they're in right now, that you would wash over a mom and a dad watching their son struggle. And God, I pray for the doctors and the nurses and for all the people that are working with him. God, I pray that you would give them a divine wisdom, a wisdom that only you can give, that only comes from your heart and your mind. And Father, we ask that you would restore his life that you would give him strength and you would touch his body and that you would walk them through this. And God, we will give you honor and glory and it will be a testament to your goodness. And so God, we just put them in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. So we're reminded that there are people in our day struggling through the same things that the people of scripture had to navigate. And so here's this woman who has this son that she was afraid to hope for now watching his life drain from his body and dealing with his death. And she does the only thing she knows to do. She runs to the man of God. 
She runs to God. She runs to him for strength and wisdom and answers. And it says in verse 25, says, so she went out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the son of the, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite woman. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? And then she responds, everything is all right. And once again, I'm puzzled by her response to his question. Do you want anything? No, I'm good. Knowing that her heart longs for a child for so many reasons. Now she stands before the man of God again. And he says, are you okay? Is your husband okay? Is your son okay? And she says, everything's okay. And once again, I wonder, is she like us? When even when we're falling apart and people come and say, how's everything going? We lie. <laughs> we live in a culture that creates a fear of actually having the courage to be transparent. Look at me, if you're not okay, you need to tell somebody you're not okay because the longer you're not okay and no one knows, the more dangerous it is to your life. Believe me, I know. Or perhaps her faith is so great that she really is okay, that she's resigned herself if he lives, if he's restored to life, I'll be okay. If he doesn't, I'll be okay. Because God is the one constant who's been, he was with me before I had him. He was with me while I held him. He'll be with me if I never get to hold him again. And so, verse 27 says, when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. <laughs> She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. And then she says, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Didn't I tell you don't get my hopes up? Don't raise my hopes and some of us are right there in that position. You're like, man, I don't want to hear this series because I don't want to, I'm not coming back because I don't need my hopes raised again only to experience disappointment. I've, I'm fine. I've finally come to terms with this is my life. This is what it's going to be. This is how it is. And I don't need to be told to pray big prayers and have big faith because I've finally come to the point where I've accepted it. And I get that. But I want you to know that you serve a God who sees your disappointment, your discouragement, and has a hope and a plan for your future, for your future, even if it doesn't look like you expected. Finally, she convinces Elisha to go back to her house. And what happens next is really weird and kind of cool, like most of the Bible. It says, when Elisha reached the house, there was a boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy mouth to mouth and eyes to eyes and hands to hands, and he stretched himself out on him, and the boy's body grew warm. 
Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the boy, got on the bed again and stretched out on him all once more. And then the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And Elijah summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. And he did. And when she came in, he said, take your son. And then she came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Now, there's so much about what just happened that I can't explain to you. Why it happened the way it did, why it unfolded all the way it did. But all I know is someone who was dead is now alive. And this is the part of the sermon all week I've struggled, like it just feels so disconnected what I'm about to tell you. But this is what hit me, and it has really nothing to do with anything I've said. But do you realize what happened? That for this boy to go from death to life, Elijah had to lay over him and cover him from head to toe. And I just picture this this moment where this boy is laid out. And Elijah lays over him, covering him. And from heaven's eye, all you see is the man of God covering the boy completely. And it brings him back to life. And I thought, that's exactly what Jesus came to this planet to do. That he covers us from head to toe. And he gave his body. And unless his life covers yours completely, you can never go from death to life. But if it does, it can resurrect anything that has been broken. That he literally wants to cover you from head to toe. He wants to cover your sin, cover your shame, cover your brokenness, cover your guilt, cover all the things that are keeping you dead so that you can come to life. He dove out of heaven into this earth so that you could be covered. So he recovered and made new and have hope. Because hope is not in a place or a position. Hope is in a person and his name is Jesus. And you can expect big things because he's a big God. Not every story is gonna end like the Shunammite woman's one. You know that, right? But one thing that I know is true is that Every person who asks Jesus to cover them, you can expect he will. Today, we're going to watch people go through the waters of baptism. And look at me. If you're here and you're getting baptized, you've been covered. You've been covered. Your sin, your shame, your guilt has been covered. So when you go down under those waters, just remember you're covered. That's why we fully immerse you into those waters. You're covered head to toe, washed anew, white as snow by the blood of the Lamb. And your hope is anchored to the gospel, to that message. Hebrews 6, 19, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul that you tether your hope to Jesus and let nothing move you. And yes, as you walk through this life, there will be moments when what you experience does not align with what you expected. But the one who promised is true and faithful. He is good, he is powerful, and he will always work for his glory and your good. Believe it. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me if you would.
And if you're here and you're ready to go public with your faith, you're planning to get baptized, you can go ahead and make your way out these back doors, the back left exit to my left. There'll be some volunteers, some staff waiting to greet you and meet you to get you ready to go through those waters. And if you're here today, look at me. And if you never trusted Jesus for your salvation, it's not just about praying a simple prayer, it's about surrendering your heart. It's trusting that everything that he did on the cross and in the grave is real and true and what you need to be whole and hopeful. Surrender your life to him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that it's powerful. Thank you that is where we are anchored. We tether our hope to the only place that can hold it. The message in life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God, today I pray that you would help us to be reminded all throughout this season of what it really means, that this is, this is why we're here, that this is just a part of your plan, the story that you're writing all throughout history. And God, even when our experience and our expectation don't quite align, help us to trust you and lean into that tension of worry and trust and frustration and disappointment and just believe that you are always working for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.